0: Good morning, brethren. It's a privilege and a blessing to be with you all today. And if you would please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be reading in verses 1 through 3. The Word of God reads, And seeing the multitudes, He, Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when He was set, His disciples came unto Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we begin, let's pray. Our Father, we come to You asking for Your grace and for Your help. We pray that we would decrease and we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would increase. We pray that You would humble our hearts, that You would open our ears to hear Your Word, that You would help us to draw every drop of comfort that You have deposited in these verses. Give us Your Holy Spirit. Give us Your help. Lord, we renounce our creature confidence, we renounce all trust in self and we ask that You would give us the grace to come before You with lowliness of mind, but also, Lord, with great faith, knowing that You are a great God, a great Savior, and You love Your afflicted people. We pray, Father, that You would be with us this day. Open us, open to us the Word of truth. Break to us the bread of life. And we pray, Lord, that You would comfort our hearts and show us our Savior afresh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The last times I have been here, I have tried to go over the book of Mark. I will take a little break from the book of Mark and be in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And God helping us, I would like us to look at this verse specifically in chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My goals, God helping us for this morning, are three. Number one, that we would examine ourselves. Number two, that we would be comforted. And number three, that we would be provoked to grow in our poverty of spirit. If not our goals, then at least our desire, the desire of our hearts for this morning. If you're taking notes and you would like an overview of the outline, these are the three points. Point number one, a context of need. A context of need. Point number two, a commendation of need. A commendation of need. And then point number three, some applications for us today. Firstly, we see in this passage that our brother read in chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 3, that there is a context of need. Now, what does that mean? Well, for us to understand what's going on here, we need to step back a little bit, and I will say this up front, this might be a little complicated, but bear with me, God helping us. There's a lot of comfort in these verses. And so we see in Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter four, verse 17 through chapter five of verse three, we see that Jesus begins to minister at this point in the book of Matthew. And this was after his baptism and after his temptation in the wilderness. And now we see that Jesus is preaching. And His message is this, and it's in verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which means, has the sense of, it's right here. The kingdom of God is here, and therefore, repent. So this tells us that the people in that time around Jesus, they were hearing preaching. Jesus wasn't preaching to the walls. He was preaching to people. So there were people listening to preaching. In fact, there's even a sort of summary of Jesus' ministry in verse 23. And it says this, And Jesus went about all Galilee and these three participles, teaching, preaching, healing. This is a summary of of the activities of Jesus Christ, of His ministry. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. People were gathering and people were following Jesus Christ. And we see that in verse 25 that says, there followed Him great multitudes of people. Great crowds. So there's preaching going on. There's the gathering of crowds going on. And when this happens, when people and preaching mix things start to happen. As people heard the Word, the people were affected by the Word. And the people were affected in different ways by the Word, just like the parable of the sower says. The sower, the preacher of the Word of God, goes forth to sow the Word. And people have different reactions to the Bible when it is preached. Some people have hard hearts and don't receive the Word. Some people have receptive hearts. And they take in the word, but there are thorns that choke it out, or there are stones and it has no root. But then there are those people that have good soil in their hearts. And when they receive the word of God, it sprouts, it grows, and it bears fruit. And so let us remember that the context here, and the context, this is a a hint for reading the Bible, the context is a clue to the meaning of the text. What is the context? If you remember, as our brother was reading these verses, the context was that Jesus was preaching. And he was preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These people start to come together. Great crowds start to build and start to gather. And these people, they come and they come bringing sick people. There are people being healed. Human bodies are being fixed by the word and power of Jesus Christ. And the healing power of Jesus is on display. And this is a clue. Keep that in mind. The healing of physical bodies was a visible picture. An object lesson of what Jesus also was doing invisibly inside people's hearts. When Jesus said for a body to be healed, it was healed. And when Jesus would preach truth, And people would believe their souls would be healed. He was healing bodies with His word, and He was healing souls with His word. And when Jesus would preach, the people were affected, they were changed, and some were converted. But what sort of of effect did Christ's preaching have on people? We have some clues from context and also from other parts of the Bible. Some people were like the the Pharisees when they heard Jesus. They didn't accept what Jesus said. Some of them would even bring questions kind of arguing with Jesus. Some were like the hard soil that I mentioned earlier. But others, some people were also deeply and powerfully affected by the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said. Take for example, if you remember that Conversation between Jesus Christ and that Father of the mute child. You remember that Jesus said, "If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes." And do you remember what the Father said to that uh, to to the Lord Jesus Christ? The Father of the child cried out and said with tears, "Lord, I believe; help my unbelief." Or do you remember in Matthew chapter seven verse twenty nine the people? after they heard the Sermon on the Mount? What was their reaction after they heard the preaching of Jesus? The Bible says they were astonished at His doctrine. Or how about in this context? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus is talking about the poor ones in spirit. Think about that. The words that we just read in chapter 5, verse 3 are these, "...blessed are the poor in spirit." And Jesus didn't say that out of nowhere. Remember, verse 1, it says, "...and seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain, He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And with the people, the crowds in mind, Jesus said, Blessed ones are these poor in spirit." So that means that there were poor in spirit ones in the crowd. And Jesus is talking about them. And Jesus is talking to them. These were the people, the people that were poor in spirit, that were poor on the inside, and that's what Jesus' preaching did to some of the people who heard him. It made people poor on the inside. It made them humble. It made them realize they needed mercy and help and grace and that they needed the Lord Jesus Christ. We might even <clears throat> excuse me, we might even say it this way. Jesus' preaching has an emptying effect. Jesus' preaching has an emptying effect. Now, you might hear that and say, what do you you mean? No, I I think Jesus' preaching has a filling effect. And you're right. But it also has an emptying effect. It has both. Jesus' preaching fills. Yes, that's true. Fills us with knowledge. Fills us with uh, understanding His love and His Uh, and His sacrificial death for us, helping us to understand more about Jesus Christ. But, the preaching of Jesus Christ also, when He preached, it also emptied people. It empties of pride. It empties of self-confidence. The preaching of Jesus Christ empties of self-centeredness. It makes us see what we really are in the light of who God really is it awakens people to, this, to a sense of need and of neediness. To help us see this, the context here of the Sermon on the Mount, it's basically a hospital scene. Did you, have, you, have you ever thought about it in these terms? Matthew chapter 4 from 17 down to, uh, down to verse 25 is basically a hospital scene. In verses 23-25, through we read of all these people gathering around Jesus and how many people are coming for healing, for relief, for help. These are people that had no hope. There were no hospitals. These were people that had ailments and diseases and they heard out of nowhere that there's this man who can heal them and so they come running. They heard about Him and they rushed in like a raging river to cast themselves on the rock of ages. The diseases and physical issues we read of in these verses, they really are, if you pause and really think about what you're reading, they really are heartbreaking. They're tear-jerking. They tug at at the strings of our heart. Here's one man with a chronic disease and he comes over bent in pain to Jesus. There's perhaps children crying, maybe one with abdominal pain. Here they are with fevers, traumatic injuries, wrapped up limbs, mentally disturbed people, some suffering insanity, some demon-possessed. Imagine the sights. Imagine if you were there that day looking out and seeing all of this. The anxious parents crying. The people in line. People wrestling with each other to try to get first in line. Imagine the sounds. The groanings. This was a hospital scene. Imagine the smells. No deodorant. People had infections. Bodily fluids. Odors. And you might think, you know what? That's not really explicitly mentioned in our text. And you're right, it's not. But we can use our sanctified imagination here. This was before hospitals, before medicines, before disinfectants, before there were Medical protocols, they brought, as our text says, they brought unto Him all sick people. This implies a large number and crowd because there was no modern medicine. Even the simplest of injuries could become major without proper medical care. But what is all this crowd and all this commotion? Why am I mentioning this? Why does, how does this have anything to do with blessed are the poor in spirit? This crowd and this commotion, what do they mean? These sick people being healed, what does it show us? It shows us this. The context of need. These were needy people. These were people that really desperately needed Jesus. And so they came to Him. They were coming to Christ with all of their need. They were coming to Christ with pleas for help. They were coming sick and they were leaving healthy. And so keep that in mind, there is that context of need. But now, let us look that there is also a commendation of need. Remember that this outward need, all these people needing the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a picture of the inward need that Jesus was about to mention in the first sentence of His sermon. When Jesus sees the crowd of the needy ones, the begging ones, He goes up into a mountain. And that's a symbol of royalty ascending, could be. And He sits down, a symbol of authority like a judge sitting down on His bench or as a king sitting down on His throne. And His disciples come to Him and He opens His mouth and He begins to teach them. He healed first the bodies of the sick people and now He was about to heal the hearts of his sick people. What does He say? He begins to teach Truths about his kingdom, about the, the subjects and citizens of his kingdom, about the mindsets of his kingdom, about the laws, the rules, and the expectations of his kingdom. And what does he teach him? Excuse me, why does he teach him? One of the reasons why Jesus started off this sermon with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, is to comfort the ones who were troubled, afflicted, and anxious. The Lord Jesus Christ noticed something about the people in the crowd that day. They noticed that these were people who were poor in spirit. And Jesus begins to cheer them up with words. Notice how He says blessed. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus Christ is blessed. It's not cursed. It's blessed. He doesn't say, woe unto you. No, He says Blessed, blessed ones, happy ones, fortunate ones. If I may summarize it this way, the Sermon, of the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount starts with comfort. Comfort for God's afflicted people. There are, there's this crowd full of sick people, needy people, anxious people, and Jesus looks at them and says, happy ones. Don't you see the paradox in that? Don't you see how ironic that sounds? Imagine seeing a crowd of sick people and saying that were just healed and some who were, you know, troubled, anxious in heart and saying, "You guys are the happy ones." That's what Jesus was saying. This is why I entitled the point a commendation of need. Jesus highlights this specific characteristic about his people. And that specific characteristic is that Those who are poor in spirit are the ones who are needy on the inside and are humbled before God. And God calls them, Jesus calls them, happy and blessed. He looks at them and He says, basically, you all are in a state of great happiness. Now, I'm going to pause here and give a little illustration, but I must warn you, this is a very inadequate illustration. Because it's very hard to come up with anything that comes close to what Jesus is saying here, but at least it'll give us a little picture of what Jesus is saying here. Imagine you are at work, and you look outside the window, and you see that there's a speeding car on one side, there's a speeding car on another side. And you see, uh-oh, they're getting closer and closer and closer, and then it happens. They crash. Thankfully, no one's injured. They come out of the car, one man is worried, distraught. His car is now destroyed. He doesn't have money. And your boss, surprise, it's a surprise to you, your boss is looking out the window too, and your boss is a very rich man. And that boss is really touched by the situation of that man down there. and he, so So he turns to you and says, here, I know this sounds crazy, but it's just an illustration. He writes out a check and says, go give this check to that man so that he can purchase a new car we're going to cover it for him now imagine if you now walk down the stairs of the building and you go outside and you're just so excited for what this man is about to receive that you just say and pardon the word I'm not I don't believe in luck but just to help us understand but you just say you are one lucky guy and the guy looks at you and says, what are you talking about? Don't you see what just happened? My car is destroyed. What do you, what do you mean I'm one lucky guy? Oh, here's why. And then you pull out your check and, you, and then he finds out why he's a blessed man. Why he is a lucky man. Jesus, in a sense, is saying this about His people. Even though they're, they're heartbroken, they are a humbled people. They are a people that are afflicted. Jesus looks at them. And He calls them happy. And it is a paradox. Jesus is saying here that those who feel their need for God and who sometimes feel down because they see how sinful and weak they are and how much they need God's grace, Jesus points to them and says, they are the blessed ones. They are the happy ones. Now let's take a closer look at this this phrase, the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is this, to feel bankrupt in your heart about yourself to such the extent that it leads you to run to Jesus to find all your riches in Him. The word here, poor, it means cringingly poor. And when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the people understood that word. It was a strong word, a vivid word. It's the type of poor that a man, if, if a man has this type of poverty, it bows him down. It's being poor to the point of becoming a beggar. Think of the homeless people you might see in New York City. Clothes all ripped up, all dirty, and they're reduced to the point of begging. They need assistance from others. This is the poverty that the word that's used. But the words in spirit are also very important. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, we can't just stop there and say, oh, whoever doesn't have money, they're the blessed ones. No, no, no. He goes on and He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word in spirit tells us that this is something, this poverty is in the realm of the inside of a person. It's being poor inside your heart, not being poor inside of your wallet. It's being humbled in your thoughts and in the inner you, inside your, your innermost being. John Calvin, in commenting on this sermon or on this, uh, this verse, he called it humility. Being poor in spirit is having humility. Spiritual humility. J.B. Phillips, who translated or interpreted the New Testament in a modern way, wrote this of, verse cha- of uh, chapter 5, verse 3. He renders the verse like this. How happy are those who, need, who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. But, the definition that stuck out the most to me, and that actually stuck to my mind the most, was one that I heard in a sermon by Pastor Martin. And this is what he said. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but, The poor in spirit man is the man that knows and feels and says... I am nothing, I can do nothing, and I stand in need of all things. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. I am nothing, I can do nothing, and I stand in need of all things. We could even say it this way to make it perhaps a little bit more clear. I am nothing before God. I can do nothing without Christ's help and without His grace. And I stand in need of all things for life and for godliness." This is what it means to be poor in spirit. But now some applications for us today. We must realize, and this was helpfully pointed out in a sermon by Pastor Ted Donnelly, there is a wrong way to be poor in spirit. Some people, when they hear preaching and they come across truth, they begin to see inside of them their need And they begin to see inside of them that, hey, maybe I'm not as a good person as I thought I was. And some people, when they begin to feel the effects of poverty of spirit, they they are poor in the wrong way. What's the wrong way to be poor? And that's an interesting idea. There's a wrong way to be poor in spirit. And the wrong way to be poor in spirit is when you feel your need and you don't go to Jesus. That's the wrong way to be poor in spirit. Sometimes people feel convicted or they feel depressed or they feel down. Maybe they're troubled by something that they read or something that they heard in the Bible. And instead of them running to Jesus for help and for grace and for mercy, they run away from Jesus. They go and have a pity party party in a, in a corner somewhere. That's the wrong way to be poor in spirit. As you hear the Bible being preached, as you hear and learn more about Jesus Christ, The preaching about the Lord has an emptying effect. And when you start feeling that emptying effect, you start feeling, you know what? I'm a sinner. You shouldn't run away from Jesus. You shouldn't let anything keep you back from Jesus, but you should instead run to Jesus. Another application is just to ask this question, are we poor in spirit? Did, Did you know that poverty of spirit can be diminished? And this is scary. This is basically another way of saying that Christians can begin to lose sight of their neediness before God. They can begin to be infected with the heart attitude that they may need God's help. Some people, as, as they progress in the Christian life, they begin to say, you know what, I'm more experienced now. I'm not easily deceived. I've been a Christian for a long time. I needed God really badly back there, but now I don't need him as much. Sometimes those thoughts, and maybe not those thoughts, but maybe that inner attitude can start to crop up in our own hearts. And we begin to become proud in spirit rather than poor in spirit. This can even happen to entire churches. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, we read these words, "...and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God." This is Jesus talking to a church. Not one Christian, but a church. And He says this, "...I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I, would, I desire that you were either cold or hot." So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of My mouth. And here's why Jesus was going to spew the Laodiceans out of their mouth if they would not repent. He gives the reason. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, but there's a problem here. You don't know that you are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed. Do you see the attitude of the Laodiceans? The church of the Laodiceans? they began to get proud and to say, you know what, I don't, we don't, we're proud. We have everything we need. And Jesus looks at them and says, you got it all wrong. You're supposed to be poor in spirit, but instead of being poor in spirit, if we can put it this way, you're rich in spirit. You think you have everything you need. You think you don't need Me anymore. And Jesus says that you really do need Me. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind. Not happy thoughts, but they're true thoughts. And Jesus says, Come to Me that you might be enriched. Poverty of spirit can be maintained by the grace of God. Smyrna is an example of this. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, which was dead and alive. And Jesus says to this church, I know your works and tribulation and poverty. But then, in parentheses in our Bibles, you might have the words, but you are rich. Which one is it? Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. What is that talking about? He's talking about poverty of spirit. But thankfully, poverty of spirit can be restored by God's grace. Maybe in the Christian life, you have been begun to get proud. Maybe in the Christian life, you have begun to think you have things handled. At work, when your boss assigns you something to do, you don't even ask God for grace and for help anymore like you used to. You just go ahead and do it. Why? Because you think you got this. Or maybe you have coworkers that are constant temptations to you. And you used to go and sit down and bow your head in prayer and ask God, Lord, please help me. I'm not strong enough to fight this temptation. But now you're not praying like that anymore. Could it be that you are now diminishing your poverty of spirit? Could it be that you again need to rekindle the flames of poverty of spirit? You need to learn again how to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and learn how to sit at His feet When we are poor in spirit, we pray more because we see how much we need God's grace. The poor in spirit husband prays like this, Lord, help me be a godly husband. The poor in spirit wife prays like this, Lord, help me to be a godly wife. The poor in spirit Christian worker prays like this, Lord, help me at work. Help me to do work that glorifies You. Help me not to be lazy. Help me to do all of my work as unto You. The poor in spirit Christian says, Lord, don't let me fall into sin today. Lord, help me to finish the race well. Lord, I can't do this by myself. I cannot do this by myself. So brethren, how are we doing in our poverty of spirit? Have we begun to trust ourselves a little too much? Have we begun to think that because of our past experiences that we won't fall into the same sins that others fall into or that we used to fall into? The Bible says very clearly, God says to all of His children, take heed standing lest you fall. Always remember that you always are nothing, have nothing, and you stand in need of all things. Lastly, Let us come to Jesus like the crowds came to Jesus. Think about that image again of those people in the crowds. With all of their sicknesses and with all of their torments, they came to Jesus. And we can learn how we should be acting in light of this truth from them with all of our sicknesses, with all of our torments, not physical, but with physical too. With all of our inner and outer torments and sicknesses and our sores and our weaknesses, with all of our needs, let's go to Jesus. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To see in yourself that you don't have what it takes. That you are not enough. And that you need God. And that you need Jesus Christ. Go to Jesus when you have an angry heart. Go to Jesus when you're struggling against pride. Go to Jesus when you're angry with your wife and the thoughts of divorce cross your mind. Go to Jesus when you're discontent with your husband. Go to Jesus when you fail as a mom or a dad. Go to Jesus when you feel like giving up and despairing. And go to Jesus when you're fearing death. Take a good look at all of your needs, feel your needs, understand your poverty of spirit and then take all of those needs to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Maybe you'll remember the hymn, Come you sinners, poor and needy. And there's a line that says, Come ye needy, come and welcome God's free bounty, glorify true belief and true repentance every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, that's poverty of spirit. Without money, that's poverty of spirit. Without money, that's poverty of spirit. Come to Jesus Christ and buy. Everything you need, dear Christian, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go to Him, He will help you just like He helped those people. Remember in Psalm chapter 34, verse 4, the psalmist writes, I sought the Lord. Why did He seek the Lord? Because He was poor in spirit. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Isaiah sixty-six, thirteen. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. If you want to learn how to be more poor in spirit, do you know what you can do? You can open up to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is full of prayers and attitudes and motivations that come out of a poor in spirit heart. And brethren, may the Lord in His grace help us to keep us down low. To keep us humble. To keep us poor in spirit. Maybe you've seen those movies where there, there are these soldiers in training and there's a machine gun firing up, up high. Hopefully they're blanks, but it could be real. And then there are these barbed wires and the soldiers need to go down low and crawl through the mud and keep their heads down low. And the drill sergeant's screaming, telling them, stay low, stay low! Because they don't want them to lose their heads. That's the same thing that Christians should keep in mind. Stay low. Stay low. In the Christian life, stay low. Humble before God, poor in spirit, always needing the Lord. And if you're not a Christian here today, I pray that God would show you how much you need Him. The world has a different mentality than what Jesus says. The world says, blessed are the rich in spirit. Jesus says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, not proud. Humble. And they come to Me for help and for mercy and for salvation. If you're not a Christian, May God show you how much you need Him and may He break you and show you that you need His grace, that you would come to Him begging for mercy and that He in grace would give it to you. As long as you're proud thinking that you don't need God, as long as you're proud and you think that religion is for those people but not for me, I'm perfectly fine without Him, then you will never Be blessed. Blessing is only upon the poor in spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word and to remember your word. Lord, keep us all poor in spirit. Deliver us from pride, from being lifted up in our hearts, thinking that we are such important people but Lord, help us to stay down low and to remember that everything we have comes from Your hand. Everything we are is by Your grace and everything we shall be is also by Your mercy. Lord, if anyone here is not a Christian today and they are proud and puffed up in their hearts, may You please humble them today by showing them that their righteousnesses are as filthy rags in Your sight. And may we all Come to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.